Ethiopian Heart Journal Case Reports 2021. I'm Dr Jenny Han, podcast editor. Today, I'll be talking about a case report by Atit Gowaka, Navreet Singh, Ankush Gupta and Parag Barwad from Postgraduate Institute of Medical Education and Research, Chandigarh, India, titled Loot Wire Advancement, Not Always Safe, Fat, Not So Useless. Coronary artery perforation is a rare but serious complication of PCI, percutaneous coronary intervention. Most distal artery perforations are caused by guide wires. When the wire tip is looped, it is conventionally considered safer, as this might prevent it from accidentally migrating distally and causing perforation. However, the following three cases show perforations secondary to a looped guide wire. They also demonstrate the use of autologous fat to manage these perforations. Case 1. A 64-year-old lady with a background of hypertension presented with inferior wall MI, myocardial infarction. Angiography showed significant stenosis in the dominant RCA, right coronary artery, the LAD, left anterior descending artery, and the major obtuse marginal artery. First, she had stenting of the culprit RCA. A week later, she had planned stenting of the LAD and the obtuse marginal artery. During this procedure, a cyan blue hydrophilic coated wire was advanced through a 6 French EBU launcher 4.0 catheter into the obtuse marginal artery. The wire tip became fixed and formed a loop, which became a peculiar large loop on advancement. This was advanced further, and a virolimus DES drug looting stent was deployed in OM1, the first obtuse marginal artery. After this, the distal tip of the loop wire was noticed to have migrated down. There was also a linear tear of the distal segment of OM1 and contrast extravasation into the pericardial space. Echocardiogram confirmed pericardial effusion. To stop this flow, the stent balloon was inflated intermittently at the site of the stent. The team used 20 seconds at 8 atmospheres with intervening 5 seconds of deflation. Even after 20 minutes, there was persistent contrast leak into the pericardial space. The team then decided to use fat. They made a small 10mm incision close to the site of femoral access and extracted subcutaneous fat. This was pulverised with a hypodermic needle and injected with iodine contrast via microcatheter to just proximal to the perforation. Initial angiogram showed sluggish flow in the artery distal to embolization, and when repeated two minutes later, there was complete occlusion with normal flow in the rest of the vessel and its branches. Follow-up angiogram at six months showed a recanalized distal OM1 with no contrast extravasation. Case 2. A 64-year-old gentleman with a background of hypertension and diabetes presented with exertional angina refractory to medical therapy. Angiography showed calcified vessels and significant stenosis of the dominant RCA, LAD and left circumflex artery, so revascularization was planned. From femoral access, a 6 French Judkins Wright 3.5 launcher catheter with a Geizilla extension catheter was used for the RCA. A semi-compliant balloon led to incomplete dilatation, so rotational arthrectomy with a rotoblator system and a 1.25mm burr was carried out. After this, the rotor wire was changed to a cyan blue hydrophilic coated wire. While balloon dilatation was carried out, the loop wire became pushed into the distal vessel, and this wasn't recognised at the time. The operator carried on deploying stents in the proximal, mid and distal RCA. 
The patient began to develop hypotension after a few minutes. The original angiogram view showed no cause for this, but on posterior anterior cranial view, there was contrast exervation in the distal part of the posterior left ventricular artery, where the looped wire was previously parked. The rotor wire had not travelled into this vessel. Echocardiogram showed a large pericardial effusion. To stabilise the patient, the team performed autotransfusion. They used a pigtail catheter to manually aspirate the pericardial blood and inject it back through the femoral vein using a vascular sheath, which was repeated until the perforation was sealed. Similar to the first case, the perforation did not seal, and they injected pulverised fat from the thigh, mixed with iodine dye into the perforation site through a microcatheter. Angiogram following this showed no contrast exervization. Case 3. A 54-year-old lady presented with an inferior wall MI. Angiogram showed acute total occlusion of the dominant RCA in its middle segment and normal left coronary circulation. From right radio access, a fielder FC guide wire was introduced into the RCA through a 6 French JR 3.5 launcher catheter. This guide wire formed a loop which advanced further and parked in the PDA, posterior descending artery, branch of the RCA. A semi-compliant balloon dilated the lesion, followed by deployment of the 2.75 by 21mm sirolimus and probricol drug-looting stent, and subsequent dilation with a 2.0 by 12mm non-compliant balloon. Two hours later on the ward, she developed hypotension. A bedside echocardiogram showed a large pericardial effusion, to stabilise her, she had repeated autotransfusion with a pigtail catheter. To stop the bleeding, the team inserted a Corsair microcatheter over a cyan blue guide wire in the distal PDA. Like the two previous cases, they injected fat harvested from the thigh with iodine contrast into the distal part of the PDA, 10mm proximal to the site of perforation. Angiogram taken after embolization showed immediate closure of perforation with no extravasation of contrast into the pericardium. There was no hemodynamic or echocardiographic evidence of reaccumulation, and the pigtail catheter was removed at 36 hours. Discussion In this case series, we saw three cases where use of the looped guide wire led to a perforation of a distal segment of a coronary artery, and where bleeding was stopped through autologous fat injection. In the following discussion, we will look at the different causes of coronary artery perforation and different ways to stabilise the patient and provide sealing of the perforation. Complications during PCI are rare but can be serious. One of these is perforation, which occurs in 0.19 to 1.46% of PCI procedures, but can be as high as 4.8% during chronic total occlusion interventions. Perforations might be classed into two groups. One, main vessel perforation, or two, distal and collateral vessel perforation. Proximal vessel perforations are most commonly caused by oversized stent placement or balloon dilatation. In contrast, distal coronary artery perforations are most commonly due to accidental migration of the coronary guide wire, with the risk being greater for hydrophilic guide wires. Advancing a looped or knuckled guide wire tip is often thought to be safer, as it is less likely to migrate distally. However, these three cases all demonstrate perforation after the guide wire is parked in a loop configuration. Not all loops are equal, as abnormal configurations may actually represent the guide wire tip creating or entering the mouth of a dissection. Advancement in these cases can damage the artery wall, leading to abrupt closure or perforation. The high elastic recoil related to the bulkier leading portion and the rigid material of the loop wire's leading edge 
can also perforate the distal coronary vessel, which is what might have happened in these cases. The most commonly used classification system is the Ellis classification, which defines the severity of the perforation through angiographic findings. Grade 1 is extraluminal crater without extravasation. Grade 2 is contrast extravasation into myocardium or pericardium without any jet. And grade 3 is contrast exervasation with a jet through greater or equal to 1 mm of perforation. It is a good predictor for the requirement of emergency cardiac surgery and the occurrence of myocardial infarction, tamponade and death. This was expanded by Muller and colleagues in 2008 to encompass type 4, which is leaking into another cardiovascular cavity, and type 5, which is distal perforation, the type often associated with guide wires. The management of the perforation depends on the hemodynamic status of the patient and the size and location of the perforation. There are no official international guidelines, but multiple review articles recommend serial echocardiograms to assess for effusion and cardiac tamponade. To stabilise the patient in the case of tamponade, pericardiocentesis can be carried out with pigtail drainage, which can be then infused back through venous access to reduce hypovolemia, as seen in cases 2 and 3. Initial control of bleeding is often through inflation of a balloon proximal to, or at the site of perforation, at the lowest possible pressure to just seal the leak. For definitive management to prevent further bleeding, the location and severity of the perforation is important. Proximal perforations rarely respond to balloon inflation and generally require covered stents or surgical repair. In contrast, distal perforations may respond well to intermittent balloon dilatation. If they fail, then embolization is favoured, as it is easier to deliver compared to the covered stent. In terms of medical management, anticoagulation reversal is avoided, and is only used in cases where sealing is unsuccessful. Embolization can be through occlusive coils, microspheres, thrombin, gel foil, and autologous fat or blood. Some of these materials may not be immediately available in all centres, but the advantage of autologous subcutaneous fat is that it is cheap and always readily available. Fat particles can act as a physical barrier to leakage from blood, but they can also activate the coagulation pathway. In order to perform this, a small incision close to the site of femoral axis can be made to obtain a small amount of subcutaneous fat. Fat is then pulverised to make smaller fat particles of up to 1mm, which is then mixed with contrast. It is then injected into the microcatheter with a syringe tip facing up, as fat is lighter than iodine contrast, so the fat globule enters the microcatheter first. The microcatheter should sit just proximal to or at the site of perforation, and visible contrast indicates embolization. Successful embolization and vessel occlusion should be confirmed a few minutes later with a repeat angiogram, as seen in cases 2 and 3. The best method to seal distal coronary artery perforations is not universally agreed upon and appear to be operator and environment dependent. This is reflected in the fact that there have only been a few case reports and case series on the fat embolization technique. This case series does highlight the quick and easy use in an emergency setting for all three cases and how interventionists have this as an option when dealing with distal perforations. The authors have highlighted the following learning points. Distal vessel perforation due to inadvertent migration of coronary guide wire into small vessels is a potentially life-threatening complication of percutaneous coronary intervention. 
Abnormal configuration of looped or knuckled coronary wire tip may be an early indicator of vessel injury and should inform the operator to avoid further advancement. Autologous coronary fat embolization using microcatheter is a handy and effective technique of managing distal coronary artery perforation. Thank you to the authors of this case report for highlighting this fascinating case for us. And thank you for listening to European Heart Journal Case Reports podcasts. References used to create this podcast and the original case report are available online. Visit academic.oup.com forward slash EHJCR for other interesting case reports. Music is Computer by State Shirt.